Hey everybody, this is David opposing the Matrix with a very blurry camera. So hold on a second while I try to fix that, okay? Oh, it never fails. Okay, the way to do this, I've done this before. Okay, and I bring my hand back very slowly. It supposedly will. <laughs> or then, hold on a second. I thought maybe clicking myself out of here and coming back would fix this. This is like par for the course, folks. The last few shows that I've done or tried to do, there's always something that makes it imperfect. Well, you know what I look like, so we'll just go with this, okay? And maybe it'll straighten out after a little while. Who knows? Okay. So, what we're going to talk about tonight, folks, is uh, the hypocrisy of the communist left. <laughs> I know the communist left it's kind of doesn't make any sense, does it? It's, uh, it's like an oxymoron or um, a repeat, you know, it's... Communists are always left, and leftists are always communists, it seems like. So um, so the democratic communists, how's that sound? Okay. The communists in the, in the Democratic Party. So it's, it's really bugging me, this camera. I don't know, folks. Okay. Hand it. Hand is nice and focused if I move it back real slow. Here we go. Nice and slow. Here we go. Oh, well, whatever. Stupid autofocus. Oh, let me try one more thing. Input, okay, that's looking good. Don't want to stop the video. Okay, anyway, well, we'll just go with it, okay? And hopefully some of the stuff I want to show you will be nice and clear. I don't matter. It's all the content that matters, okay? So we're going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about the, um, the hypocrisy with some very good and glaring examples of leftist um, hypocrisy. And really, that's the only way they, they can act or further themselves is through hypocrisy. You know, communist Russia was supposed to be the model for the world to follow, and, and their leaders ended up killing, what, 70 million people? You know, that's okay. I don't want that. Don't give me that. Okay. So before we start that, I want to – now, you've probably – if you've listened to the shows all along, you know that I did a show, oh, probably about six months ago now, where I surmised that the next epidemic that's going to come through is going to make um, the last one look like COVID-19. It's going to make COVID-19 look like child's play, okay? So um, anyway uh, – <clears throat> I also said it's going to be hemorrhagic um, pl plague or, you know, whatever. And um, 
I was looking through some news sources today, and I found this interesting little thing that was on the Wall Street Journal. Okay. <clears throat> and this was from, uh, should be from today, I think. Uh, that's weird. They don't put the date on there. Okay. Well, anyway. Uh, it says, outbreak of rare Ebola strain declared in Uganda. The WHO says existing vaccines and treatments are likely to provide quick are unlikely to provide quick protection against the Sudan strain. All right. Like I said, this is from the Wall Street Journal. It's in their world slash Africa section. Um, that's weird. Usually these papers put a date on here, a publication date, and I don't see one. So we're going to assume it was today. All right. Let's continue. Kampala, Uganda. Uganda declared an outbreak of relatively rare strain of Ebola virus on Tuesday, raising concern of a wider spread because existing vaccines are unlikely to provide quick protection against this version of the virus. The 24-year-old man who died Monday in central Uganda was found to have been infected with the Sudan strain of uh, Ebola, said Diane Atwine, permanent secretary at Uganda's health ministry. It is the first time, hold on a sec. It is the first time in more than a decade that the Sudan strain has been detected in Uganda, which has experienced six previous outbreaks of Ebola, including three of the Sudan strain. <clears throat> Eight other patients <clears throat> excuse me, who are suspected of having Ebola are currently being treated in health facilities in Mubende, a forested farming district about 90 miles west of the capital, Kampala. Dr. Atwine said, oh, Dr. Atwine said, okay, uh, Health authorities are also investigating the deaths of six other people, including three children in the village of the 24-year-old man dating back to his early September. Most known outbreaks of Ebola, including the 2014-16 epidemic that killed more than 11,000 people in West Africa, were caused by a different version of a virus known as the Zaire strain. The development of, the two, vac of two vaccines against um, Ebola Zaire transformed the world's response against Ebola and in recent years helped contain multiple outbreaks, including in Uganda and the Democratic Republic of the Congo and Guinea. The vaccines were given <clears throat> to healthcare workers and other people in proximity with patients, a process known as ring vaccination. But the World Health Organization um, said Tuesday that the strategy won't work against the Sudan strain the more widely you shot the Merkin company's Ervabo vaccine only provides protection against the Zaire strain and won't work against the Sudan strain, the spokeswoman for the agency said. The other Ebola um, vaccine produced by Johnson & Johnson is a two-shot regime with the first shot targeting the Zaire strain and the second shot, which is administered eight weeks later, designed to target multiple versions of the virus, including the Sudan strain. Even if the vaccine were tested and proved to be effective against Sudan Ebola virus, it would only provide predictions some days after a second dose is administered, the WHO spokesman said in a statement. This means the vaccine would be, be not be appropriate for outbreak response to stop the chain of transmission. The spokeswoman also said that in contrast to the Zaire strain, for which there are now two approved antibody treatments, there are no proven uh, specific treatments against Sudan strain, 
but supportive care can vastly improve the chances of survival. So we encourage anyone who thinks they may have contact with the virus to come to the health facility for testing and care, she said. Well, at least you know over there they won't put you on a ventilator and give you remdesivir and kill you. Um, I hope not anyway. Uh, let's see. I think I missed something. Okay, responders from Uganda's health ministry were dispatched Tuesday to Mobende, and the WHO sent medical supplies to support the treatment of patients. The health ministry said... To- Hold on a second. Okay, it's, it's repeating things, I guess, here. Um, let's see. The health ministry said a 24-year-old man who died was initially treated for other illnesses, including diarrhea and malaria and, and pneumonia, and was admitted to three different clinics where he died at a regional referred, referral hospital in Mobende. It isn't yet known how he became infected. Scientists believe that Ebola was first passed to humans by animals. Yeah, okay. Yeah, this is a common story. I don't believe it, but we'll go here. Um, scientists believe Ebola was first passed on to humans by animals, such as primates or bats, and past outbreaks were usually considered new introductions of the virus from animals. In recent years, however, there have been multiple outbreaks that appear to have been caused by Ebola survivors uh, inadvertently passing on the virus, likely through sexual intercourse, months or even years after clearing the initial inf- infection. My goodness, it stays with you that long. Ebola spreads through direct contact with bodily fluids of patients or contaminated materials through broken skin, the eyes, nose, or mouth. The largest known Ebola outbreak in Uganda, the Ebola Sudan strain, killed 224 of 425 people infected in 2000 and 2001. In 2019, Uganda quickly contained the outbreak of Ebola Zaire imported from neighboring Congo, where more than 2,000 patients died from the virus between 2018 and 2020. Uganda is no stranger to effective Ebola control, said Dr. Matisdiso Moeti, the WHO's African director, on Tuesday. Thanks to its expertise, action has been taken quickly, quickly detect the virus, and we can bank on the knowledge to halt the spread of infections. Written by Brian, or excuse me, Nicholas Barrios at uh, nicholas.barrio at wsj.com. Okay, so I know that I'm taking a little avenue away from other things that I want to talk about tonight, but um, this is I think this is important. We have to watch this. Uh, hemorrhagic uh, fevers and hemorrhagic viruses and, and the like are, are very dangerous. Um, you basically bleed out from the inside. Your your eyes start bleeding. Your nose starts bleeding. You, your internal organs start bleeding. And um, it's not a good way to die if there is a good way to die. But um, So it's something that we need to keep in prayer because if this thing – Let's just say four or five people um, hop on a plane from Uganda or from any other place where this is going rampant, um, and they come to the States or they go anywhere in Europe or whatever, and they, they contact five or ten people each, you know, we could have a quite a start of an uh, epidemic on our hands here. So, uh, you know, we just need to watch out for this. And like I said, there's no effective vaccination for it, so if the 
the boys at uh, Pfizer start saying they have something, then I, I really have to say that uh, I would not take it. I think I'd let the disease kill me or let God heal me, one of the two. So anyway, just something to watch out for and something to keep in mind. Um, if it happens, well, we, we've heard about it. If, uh, if it doesn't happen, well, praise the Lord, because we don't need this that I think of anyway. But anyway, um, okay. So let's get rid of that. And go back here. All right. So the first thing we're going to look at is uh, an article called, um, it's from Newsweek, actually. So people that have been calling for a reliable source, uh, here you go. Okay. And I'm going to be checking from time to time because the last time I did a show, um, for some reason, it bounced me off. And so there was like 10 minutes of uh, black screen with no sound. And that's not not uh, acceptable. So I had to scrub that show. I had to just delete it. So um, when I start something, I'm going to go back and check to make sure I'm still there. Okay, so we're going to go ahead and look at behind. Uh, let's see. Here we go. Behind closed doors, Martha Vineyard's liberals reveal their hypocrisy. It's in the opinion section. Uh, okay, Tuesday, September 20th, 2022. So that was today. Uh, yeah, it's still, yeah, it's still the 20th. Okay. So let me do this and then show this on the screen. All right, I'm there. The article's there. Okay, so let's go to the article and see what it says. All right, you ready for some really juicy, down-to-earth liberal hypocrisy? I mean, you see it every day, but this is this is classic. This is quintessential. It's it describes Democrats so well, so so well. Okay, this was written by Paul Du uh, Du Kenoy, President of Palm Beach Freedom Institute, on nine nineteen twenty twenty two at six thirty a.m. Wow, he was up early. Um, but first, there's a video here. It's got Ron DeSantis in it. So let's go ahead and watch this. And here we go. To be able to go to a sanctuary. We're start. We are not a sanctuary state. And it's better to be able to go to a sanctuary jurisdiction. And yes, we will help facilitate that transport for you to be able to go to greener pastures. <laughs> Biden would fly people in the middle of the night dump them all across this country. There was no warning on any of this. And all those people in D.C. and New York were beating their chest when Trump was president, saying they were so proud to be sanctuary jurisdictions, saying how bad it was to have a secure border. The minute even a small fraction of what those border towns deal with every day is brought to their front door, they all of a sudden go berserk, and they're so upset that this is happening. And it just shows you, you know, their virtue signaling is a fraud. We are not a saint. Okay. Their virtue signaling, signaling is a fraud. Oh, boy, isn't that the truth? <clears throat> you know, I've, I've dealt with liberals here in Oregon, um, like California, too. Don't get me wrong, but... <clears throat> I remember one time, um, one of the somebody up in Salem, I think it was, there was some gal. Uh, she was on Facebook and she said that she was an advocate for homelessness. You know, and I'm like, okay, do you realize what you just said? You're advocating for homelessness. It means that you think homelessness is okay and you're advocating for it. 
said, don't you mean that you're advocating for the homeless? And she yelled back at me, you know, in writing, you know, uh, I said what I said, don't try to change, you know, my words. And I was trying to help her out. But um, so anyway, it's uh, even when you try to help a liberal, uh, a communist, I'm going to say communist from now on. Uh, when you try to help a commie, um, it just doesn't work out. Okay. Now let's look at the article. Okay. And it's got some really good points in it. At some point in time, they have to move somewhere else, Martha Vineyard's homeless shelter coordinator, Lisa Balcastro, told local media after two planes carrying illegal aliens landed at her sanctuary destination islands on the airport, courtesy of Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. <laughs> Sorry, this just really tickles me. Uh, we don't have housing for 50 more people, Balcastro implausibly um, claimed. For an island community of 17,000 permanent residents that houses as many as 200,000 people every summer. In the island's off-season, 63% of its homes, whose medium value is $1.35 million, are vacant. Former President Barack Obama's property alone reportedly has 10 bedrooms. Uh, as of this writing, Airbnb offers 355 vacancies Nevertheless, not one of the Vineyard's residents, nearly 80% of whom voted for Joe Biden, is on record having offered an extra bedroom, guest cottage, pool house, basement, unclaimed rental, gazebo, or tent to accommodate the migrants who slept in a church hall. Pretty sad state of affairs. Uh, I don't know if, if, if it's this way out, or any of you are, but some of the neighborhoods that you go to, say in Eugene, uh, they have these signs. It says, in this house, we believe, and it has a litany of things. It's a black sign with all different colors so that, you know, right there it's telling you that they, they advocate for the LGBT community. But it talks about, we, you know, we we believe in, and it's it's got this all these things all the way down. As a matter of fact, you know, if I could find uh, the sign, let's see. We believe in sign. I think I should be able to type that into DuckDuckGo and something get something good, huh? Okay. Because I got Oh, here it is. Oh, they're all over the place. Okay. This one says, in this house, we believe black lives matter. Love is love. And that's in a multi, multiple colors, like a rainbow. Women's rights are human rights. We are all immigrants. Kindness is never wasted. Okay. Okay, let's see. There's some good ones, but uh, that's the one you usually see in liberal neighborhoods. So, anyway, uh, that's good. I found that. Hallelujah. So, let me uh, go back here. Just want to make sure I'm still here. Yeah, I am. Good. A little paranoid about this. But anyway, you, you see those signs all over the place, and, and this guy's talking about it. So um, yeah, I just think it's hilarious because I can identify. I'm, I'm kind of like, it's kind of like he and I were in a car together talking and seeing all these things. Um, instead, liberal residents congratulated themselves on their compassion for proving basic services for less than 24 hours before soliciting donations on the Internet and demanding government solutions. <laughs> You ever hear the term us four and no more? <laughs> That's what it reminds me of. Um, 
A GoFundMe campaign collected $43,000, enough to buy each immigrant a new moped. It's just talking about that's how much money that could be spent on buying a new moped. They didn't get mopeds, okay? Uh, if you haven't heard of of a Mopeds for Migrants program, don't be surprised. Within 36 hours, new arrivals were gone, deported by bus and ferry to the mainland, perhaps past a now iconic, oh, excuse me, a now ironic official sign proclaiming that Martha's Vineyard's residents stand with immigrants and refugees with indigenous peoples. <laughs> yeah, they stand there and tell them to get out. Okay. Uh, these indig- indigenous refugee immigrants, however, were speedily offloaded at Joint Base Cape Cod, a military installation now housing them in a dormitory-style accommodations. Uh, they are escorted, and that's in parentheses or quotation marks, by 125 Massachusetts National Guard- Guardsmen mobilized to address the humanitarian crisis, and that's in quotation marks too, posed by four dozen poor people of color. That's 2.5 guardsmen for every man, woman, and child, ensuring that even the most delicate petal in the in any vineyard flower or yeah vineyard flower bed would not be disturbed during the affluent during the affluent and overwhelmingly white islands ethnic cleansing. <laughs> this is in Newsweek, folks. Uh, video of residents gathered to see the migrants off shows them cheering the restoration of pale normality as the buses departed. What a sick. Okay. If these sobering facts, let's see, Newsweek newsletter sign. Okay. If these sobering facts suggest vineyard liberals are hypocrites, unwilling to be very, to be the very change that they wish to see in a world, a dive into the internal chatter confirms it. Nobody with vineyard connections agreed to speak on the record for this article. All of those in contact feared retaliation from neighbors who sound far less tolerant than they're in this house, we believe, sign might suggest. Vineyard, vineyard informants and the New England journalist uh, Aidan uh, Kearney, okay, however, have provided screenshots from closed online Island discussion groups where residents revealed their true feelings. Hmm, here we go. This not-in-my-backyard contingent was amply represented by Esther Carolyn Deming, a matron of the Martha Vineyards Ballroom Dance Society, who literally looked forward to when the immigrants or the migrants would no longer be in our backyard. That's a quotation mark. Uh, okay, quotation. Uh, generously conceding that we should treat them like human beings. She sent them extra groceries from her fridge. <laughs> like a bottle of mayonnaise or something. Um, fellow progressive islander Deb Dunn announced a fund for the migrants to get their transport of family members to other states, far away from anything she might hold dear. All right, Leslie Finnegan was sure that once transportation could be arranged, they would be taken to Boston a hundred miles away from her. When someone asks, why not keep them? Uh, why not keep them? And invited Finnegan to show the world uh, what opening your home looks like. She replied, the wonderful MV community, Martha's Vineyard, has welcomed them with open arms. If only for a few floating, fleeting hours before a military detachment removed them. 
and quotes again, can we just come around and give them nice clothing? Asked Deborah Marlin, whose career appears to involve painting pictures of dogs. Wow, and there's a real get-up-and-go gal, huh? Um, one migrant was later spotted wearing a Ruth Bader Ginsburg T-shirt, so Marlin may have contributed something. If not, the use of her beautifully appointed canine art studio, which looks spacious, spacious enough to house the migrant family. Uh, Pat Nagy, whose tweets now protected, have called for the death of gun rights, uh, ad, or called for the death of gun rights advocate Kyle Rittenhouse, uh, former Missouri Governor Eric Greens, and former President Donald Trump, not committedly asked, what else do we need? A neighbor reminded Nagy that she owns two vineyard rental properties that are presumably vacant, but her militant leftism does not appear to have accommodated further initiative or even the courtesy of a response. Uh, when Amy Limu, a woman of no discernible occupation who seems to spend a lot of time skiing, was challenged to welcome the migrants into her vineyard home, she replied that she had been looking all day for how I could support the efforts. Somehow she just couldn't figure out before the deportation from her idyllic island. Carolyn W. Saucer, I love that they're naming names. This is hilarious. Carol W. Saucer, whose website advises on proper care of reptiles, made no public. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. Uh, made no public offer of assistance to her island's new human arrivals, but posted that she could not believe that they delivered these poor people to one of the most expensive places to live. What a fu what a fool pa! <laughs> oh. I'm sorry. This is just really tickling me, folks. Yoga and walking enthusiast Maria, Sch Maria Schneiderman Cheevers, she he hers in case you were curious, also betrayed no humanitarian inclinations, but, but condemned DeSantis for alleged allegedly wanting to rob women uh, of what they, she called their bodily an, an autonomy. Sick. Um, she might have watched M MSNBC's coverage, which reported that these migrants are not uh, angry with Ron DeSantis and are actually thanking him for having brought them to Martha's Vineyard. Maybe she was too busy to learn how to spell. <laughs> I got. I, I think I might even subscribe to Newsweek if they're going to post stuff like this. Um, the final word goes to Vineyard author and self-identified Democrat voter whose Facebook name is uh, Sysan. Uh, now, the illegal immigrants are being transported to us because our votes agreed to support them, Cy so posted in a singular res uh, resort to reason. I can't understand how anyone can formulate a logical argument as to why we shouldn't receive these folks. At least one, at least one state governor agrees with Cy San and promises to send more. Let's hope he does. And then make popcorn and watch how size hypocritical neighbors react to embracing a greater diversity. <laughs> okay, Paul, uh, Paul Duconoy is the president of Palm Beach Freedom Institute. The reasons expressed in this article are the writer's own. Boy, that they have the gall to 
even put it in that liberal rag is uh, is telling. It really is. Okay, let's get rid of that. Make sure I'm still here. Okay. Oh, got a little agita, folks. Sorry. We're going to kind of look at it, same the same kind of art article. Okay. Great the hiccups. And um, I'll go ahead and start that up here. This is in a publication called Nation and State. And, yes, I'm still there. Okay. Okay, Martha's Vineyard proves leftist hypocrisy on illegal immigration. Martha's Vineyard proves – okay, I just read that. Uh, who wrote this? Hmm. Looks like it might come from Zero Hedge. Oh, well, I can't say something I don't know. Okay. As if there weren't enough evidence already, the political left's duplicity on how to handle illegal immigration is now a matter of obvious historic record. For decades, open border proponents proponents have argued that America is a nation built by immigrants and that if we seek to control our own borders, we are essentially abandoning our national heritage. A rather interesting talking point from people that generally hate America and want to dismantle every aspect of our heritage. Ooh, this is another good article. Um, also, America is a nation built by explorers and colonialists first, and legal immigrants second. Good point. The humanitarian image of leftists is, also, is often used as a shield to protect from dealing with the logical and rational arguments on economic uh, practicality, they will claim that it doesn't matter if our system cannot continue to sustain millions of migrants pouring across the border every year. We have to find a way because it's the right thing to do. The notion of the soul-searching, empathetic, progressive, taking on the inequities of the world like some New Age Mother Teresa willing to give a T-shirt off their backs is a complete fraud, and the events of Martha Vineyard prove it. Martha's Vineyard proved it. Okay. This week, Florida Gen uh, Governor Ron DeSantis opted to follow the example of Texas Governor Greg Abbott and begin his own program of migrant relocation, flying them straight to the affluent backyard of open border advocates like Barack Obama. The island is also the vacation destination for numerous corporate elitists, including Bill Gates. They should wait till they're all there one day. And, and, and never mind, I'm not going to say anything else. Um we have seen the clear results of the migrant busing strategy in New York and Washington, D.C., where Democratic mayors are scrambling to deal with the influx of a mere 10,000 total immigrants. D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser, <laughs> Bowser uh, even asked that the federal government intervene and allow the National Guard to take over the handling of the situation. The request was denied. New York Mayor Eric Adams uh, complained that illegal immigrants were a burden on his city. Oh, do as I say, not as I do. Uh, the shelter systems in both cities are overwhelmed, and they don't have the capacity to maintain aid. Keep in mind, this is due to a tiny fraction of the migrants that border towns in states like Texas deal with annually. Of course, leftists refuse to acknowledge the lessons that they are being taught here. Instead of recognizing the folly of Biden's continued open border measures that essentially reward non-citizens that illegally invade with long-term residency in the U.S., 
Democrats have instead decided the best option is to attack the conservative states as being monstrous for using people as political pawns. Set aside the fact that this is exactly what leftists have been doing for some time, and the fact that Biden has been relocating immigrants across the U.S. since he entered office. For some reason, this article is easier to read. I don't know why. Um, you see, the political left is perfectly fine with relocation and strategically implement, implanting migrants into specific areas of the country, but only if they get to choose the locations. They do not like that their tactics are now being used against them. Officials in Martha's Vineyard put on quite a song, song and dance uh, theatrics for the media cameras when the 50 DeSantis migrants showed up on their doorstep. They pontificated about taking care of the less fortunate and leaving the door open to helping others in need. They even fed the migrants unloading hot meals from vans and trucks as the media recorded everything carefully but their hospitality only lasted for a day and everything changed. Okay. You can't see it if you're listening by radio, but there's a bunch of immigrants just sitting on a curve and standing in front of a house here with two or three police officers just kind of watching. Okay. Martha's Vineyard is now busing most or all of the migrants off the island and sending them to Cape Cod military base. So much for the well-publicized image of humanitarian left. They don't want to take care of these people either. The media is adding spin to the relocation news, suggesting that the move is voluntary. However, it would be interesting to see what would happen if the migrants actually refused to leave. I think that was in the other article. Would they really be allowed to stay in the resort town of the ultra-rich? Or would they quietly be kicked out and told never to come back? It is doubtful that the relocations for Martha's Vineyards are optional. I concur. The true face of open border ideology is one of exploitation for political gain. Democrats have been consistently hostile towards any attempts to state voter ID laws for a reason. They hope to use illegal immigrants as a battering ram to destabilize our existing culture and also as a voting pool that would make them impossible to remove from office in the near future. They have sought to purchase votes indirectly by offering citizenship in exchange for their loyalty. In other words, they let the illegals in, block voter identification, and then say, vote for us or the conservatives will kick you out. And yet, here's, here they are, kicking the same migrants from their precious enclaves like Martha's Vineyard. Leftists want conservatives to deal with the consequences of their border politics, the, sec the second they have to deal with the consequences, suddenly the, re the relocation of mig migrants is a travesty in a government's emergency. Uh, the hypocrisy of the left is endless. You know, getting to that voter thing, folks, you know, back in, um, it was probably around 2000, it was that election, I think. And um, I, I used to live in apartments down in, in uh, a little uh, community of Sacramento called Carmichael. And uh, back then they were nice apartments. They they later went to hell. And, and then I got out of there. But um, they, uh, excuse me, they, uh, they, they lit just about anybody. And back then uh, the housing market was uh, – was pretty terrible, and, and people found it easier to rent than they did to 
to buy a house. So we had a lot of different people coming into our apartments, a lot of them good, some of them bad. Okay. So I had a nice neighbor. His, he was a Muslim guy and his name was Mo. And I think his, his whole name was Mohammed, but um, he came over one day and he wanted to know how to vote. And so, yeah, come on in, you know, so he sat at the table and I said, you know, I, I went to the whole, you go into this booth and then you, you pick one. If there's 15 names, you have to pick one. Unless it tells you you can pick more. You have to pick one and then you usually take, because they had the cards back then. You used to take the little punch thing and punch the little hole out. And I said, so I told him how to do that. And I said, and then you put it in an envelope and you drop it in a box and then you go home. And um, so I, I said, I, I got a little brave and I said, I got to ask you a question, and you don't have to answer it if you don't want to. I said, you're voting. I asked him who he was voting for, and he said, who was it back then? I can't remember. Somebody ran against Bush, I guess. Anyway, and I said, okay. I said, that's cool. I said, why did you choose to vote Democratic? You know, what makes you make that decision? And he says, well, when we came over here, the whole plane was full of immigrants, and when we got off the plane, they pulled us into a room, and they were trying to tell us, you know, welcome to the United States. This is what you do. And he's, he said that the, the one man said that when you vote, you need to vote Democratic or for the Democrat because the Democrat is the party of the people. And so I'm sure that whole plane load of people voted Democrat. But um, – so anyway, that's the kind of indoctrination they got when they first came here. So I told him, I said, you know, you can vote for anybody you want to. And, you know, we'll, we'll still be friends and everything, no big deal. And I said, but, you know, I said, I'm not too sure that that guy told you the truth. I said, maybe you need to read more and find out more. You know, and I don't know who he voted for. I really don't. And uh, and after, not soon after that, uh, or about a year or so, is when 9-11 happened. And um, he moved out. <laughs> So anyway, uh, that's one story. Now, we've got to look at the immigrants that are coming, okay? Because this kind of thing that happened in Martha's Vineyard used to happen um, back in the early 1900s, uh, the late 1800s, uh, up until the time when we started taking a lot of immigrants into this country. Most of the people were from the northern parts of Europe, uh, England, uh, Poland, Germany, uh, basically white Europe, okay? And even if they came from other countries, uh, if they were Catholic, they were discriminated against. If uh, uh, right, you know, if they didn't learn English fast enough, they were discriminated against. And um, so people were, were encouraged to learn English, and, and definitely their kids were encouraged to learn English. And um, and when people came here back in those times, they came here to get away from oppression. And we're told that these people are too now nowadays. But um, but they came to America to become Americans, okay? And that means giving up your old ways, okay? And, and what I mean what do I mean by that? In other words, uh, learning the English language and speaking it only, okay? Um, taking on some American culture and you know, and then things like that. And um, and not to really – you had to basically denounce where you came from. I know that one of my – one side of my family was from Germany, and their last name was Von Lang. 
But when they came to the United States, they had to get the, the Vaughn off of there. They still went by it at home and stuff like that because it was a, a genealogical thing. But um, when they were out, they just said Lang because Vaughn means of Lang. And it, it shows that they had allegiance to uh, either a potentate or um, or a, a political figure in um, wherever they lived. Okay, And when you come to the United States, you denounce that. So they had to denounce that. I don't know if they still have to, but and even if they do, they don't do it. <laughs> um, but when the Southern Europeans started to come, like uh, not so many from Spain, but from Italy and and Greece and um, you know, where else? Other places of Europe, uh, farther south. Um, there's a lot more, um, I'm trying to say, a lot more prejudice, a lot more uh, racism. Well, I want to say racism because it wasn't a race, but... Um, but people weren't treated that well, okay? And so the people that came from southern part of Europe really had to adapt. They had to, they had to like, go the extra mile, so to speak, um, because the people that were from southern Europe were always Catholic, <laughs> you know, and that was frowned upon. I don't know if you know this, but when John Kennedy was running for president, one of the basic things that they, people didn't like about him is he was Catholic. You know, people were concerned that if he got into office, he'd have a, more of an allegiance to the Pope than he would to the uh, American Republic. He proved that wrong. But um, anyway, <clears throat> so the people from the southern part of um, Europe, the Italians, the Greeks and stuff, uh, were either Orthodox or almost always Roman Catholic. And so that was frowned upon. They spoke um, the Romance languages, which, you know, I don't know. I, I just remember when I was younger hearing the term Guinea and WAP and, and everything else. And, you know, it's very few names were, were for the, uh, the Northern Europeans. Yeah, the Germans were blockheads or squareheads, you know, stuff like that. But the Italians had a variety of different names that they were had attributed to them. Well, anyway, um, my great-grandfather, he, he – um, treaded very carefully when he came here because he knew I'm sure that kind of information goes through the, the ranks, you know, Hey, when you get over there, don't do this, do this, don't do that. Don't do that. You know? Um, so anyway, um, he got here and he learned to speak English right away. It was broken English from what I understand. Uh, but still, you know, people could understand him in an English vernacular and, um, I remember one time hearing a story, and I've, I've told this on this show before, but it needs to be said again. Um, they went to a store. I think it was like grocery store or something like that, maybe a hardware store. I think it was a hardware store. And my grandfather spoke to his father in Italian. His father grabbed them by the lobe of the ear and ran them outside, you know, quite forcefully from what I've heard from my grandfather. And he said, he said to his son, he says, he says, when we're out in public, he says, you speak English and you speak English only. He says, you can speak Italian around the house, but these people were nice enough to let us come here. You honor them by speaking English. And why isn't that being done today? Because there's no respect. There's no honor. A lot of the Latins that are coming up from, from Mexico and other places have a chip on their shoulder. They think that a lot of this land in the, in the West, the Southwest especially, was stolen from the Mexicans. 
you know, it was it was taken as a, a spoils of war, and a lot of it was bought uh, with good money. Um, even the, even the stuff that was taken by war, I think that we uh, compensated the Mexican government with uh, gold or cash or something. Um, but anyway, so there's there's no respect. These people, a lot of them, I think, are coming here. Um, and if you watch uh, TV like Azteca and, and stuff like that, it definitely has a anti-American slant to it. I remember uh, being in Mexico City and there was a, a billboard way up on top of a skyscraper, big billboard, and it had a picture of North America, but it had Mexico. But Mexico also consisted of California, Arizona, New Mexico, and Texas. Um, it was that was all one color, red, and the rest of the, um, America was blue, you know, and, and on the map. And so what they were saying is, you know, that belongs to us. We're going to take it back. And you could talk to people that live, uh, you know, um, Anglos that, or, you know, Americans that live in the Southwest will tell you that, you know, there's a lot of bitterness and a lot of uh, a lot of people, uh, Mexicans, are call themselves Aztecas because they swear they're going to take the land back and stuff like that. So um, anyway, that's that's what's coming across the border. And I'm not saying everybody's like that. Yes. <laughs> You know, I had a laugh today because they were talking about the people coming over the border as people coming to flee oppression. And I'm like, we have oppression here. <laughs> we have it here, especially if you're a, a Republican or, or a conservative or, you know, you, you, you own guns and you believe in own, owning guns or if you're a white Christian or even a black Christian. Um, Christianity is not very popular with the left and. Uh, neither is Judaism, although they don't know that yet. Um, so it's, you know, they're fleeing oppression to come to oppression. And yes, they might be, they might be um, in the ranks with the oppressors, but sooner or later, it's all going to turn around. It always does, okay? And um, and they will be oppressed, much like uh, conservatives are being oppressed today, and it's getting worse. You know, when um, the pillow man can uh, is driving around, he gets pulled over and they yank his cell phone away from him. Uh, when Donald Trump has, gets raided by how many of the FBI were there, 20, 30, 40, you know, uh, to go through that, that his house looking for stuff. Um, you know, that was dirty. And, and there's a lot of dirty stuff going on. I, I know that the FBI has visited some people, I, there was one lady that was, um, had something to do with the uh, Trump's election committee or something. And she received a, a visit one day from the FBI and they were harassing her, you know? So the, the FBI has been coming, mil, become militarized, uh, and is being used by the, the, uh, the communists in, in uh, Congress to, uh, make life difficult for conservatives. So, um, yes, there's oppression here. It's all according to you. Are. Ask, ask African-Americans about oppression. You know, they've been oppressed since they were, you know, were brought here in slavery back in 1600s. You know, oppression. Heck yeah. You know, uh, Jews are oppressed here. You know, um, in some in some neighborhoods, the Jews can't go there. In some neighborhoods, <laughs> I had a laugh. Um, I was visiting a friend in Georgia one day, and... Um, 
we went into a McDonald's and I was wearing my little yarmulke on my head. And uh, I walked in there and it was like, it was like crickets, but with no crickets, you know what I mean? It was dead silent. And boy, I was getting stared at by everybody. And so we got our food real quick and then ate it out of the car. But, um, you know, so there's oppression right there. Intimidation, I should say, was probably a better word. But um, so, you know, <clears throat> yes, they're fleeing oppression, but they're coming to an oppressive, a country where an oppressive regime is governing the country right now. So, and if you don't believe it, get on the wrong side of them. That's all I got to say. <clears throat> but, um, Anyway, let's see where we're here. Good, I'm still there. All right, so let's get rid of that. Now we're going to have some fun, okay? Now we're going to go, and there's um, 10 examples of liberal or communist or progressive, I know it's progressive is a good word, hypocrisy. So let's look at that, shall we? Okay, I'm still there, and it's there. Okay, let's go there. All right, 10 examples of the left's blatant hypocrisy. Anti-racists have all but a monopoly on racism. August 30th, 2021, so it's a year old. 10.47 p.m. by Walter F. or Walter E. Block. Hmm, I wonder if we're related. I have some blocks in my genealogy, and they're from back east. Okay. All right, hypocrisy of the left, let me count the ways. Well, be some of them, since there are more than you can shake a stick at. Ah, gun control. Good old gun control. You're not a lefty in good standing unless you bitterly oppose the Second Amendment. Any Democratic politician that does not toe the line on this will soon be uh, primaried uh, by a, work, a wokester. Excuse me. That's a word, a brand new word in our vocabulary, a wokester. Okay. But each and every high-profile Democratic politician has guards protecting him with her with her or him. Um, most are cognizant of unarmed fighting skills, such as karate or taekwondo, but they are also armed with guns. Wait a second. I thought these uh, polls uh, opposed such weapons, POLs. I don't know what that means. Um, well, yes, for thee and me, but not for them. Uh, their position is entirely justified. Just ask them. Uh, these people are indeed targeted by all sorts of crazies. <clears throat> it cannot be denied that they are in danger, but soon, but so too are the rest of us, particularly in Democrat-controlled cities such as Chicago, New York, and Baltimore, and just about any other city, I'm going to add. Uh, some of them, okay, uh, this is where some of them repost that since the Second Amendment was drawn up in the 18th century, we should not allow people to own weapons on the, on that day, muskets, etc. But the purpose of the purpose of this part of the Constitution is not to protect hunting or targeting or target practice. It is to serve as a check on over overweening and totalitarian government. So yes, the, the populace should be confined to these earlier weapons just as soon as the U.S. military and police are too. That is, never. Now, a little thing I want to put in there, folks, okay? Uh, back in the Revolutionary War, <clears throat> the British had what was called smoothbore rifles, okay? Now, if you talk to anybody that knows anything about guns, they know that um, 
that a rifled bore is is a lot more accurate because what it does is when the bullet's coming out the barrel, it's actually got a little bit of a spin. And because it has that, it kind of fights against any aerodynamic or or hydrodynamic or whatever force comes against it. It can take a more straight path and basically hit what you're aiming at. A smooth bore is going to come out, and sooner or later it's going to go up, down, left, or right. Okay? So during the, the Revolutionary War, the Americans uh, had something called the um, – it was a Philadelphia rifle. It was um, very long. <laughs> If you ever look it up, um, it was a Pennsylvania rifle, excuse me, and they were, they were rifled. So when they shot at something, they usually hit it a lot easier. So when these crazies are running around saying that we shouldn't have weapons that are this, you know, that are so intricate and so accurate that we should just have hunting rifles and stuff. Well, the Americans had better rifles than the than the um, the military the British military. So if they had better rifles, why can't we have better rifles in the military? Now I could use that argument. I'm not, it's kind of a dumb argument. The military is supposed to have good stuff, right? They are, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't. Now I'm not saying that we should have cannons or bazookas or grenade launchers or whatever, but having an AR-14 is not, there's nothing wrong with that. And because we have AR-14s, I think it keeps the government in check. I know it, um, there were several test cases. Um, Randy Weaver uh, was one of them. Uh, David Koresh and his followers. It was just rumored that they had guns, and the government was real careful going in there trying to do stuff. You know, so it's um, even even the knowledge that or the, the thought that somebody might have weapons causes um, those that are coming against them to, to think twice before they do it. I mean, if the government wants to get you, they're going to get you. But, um, you know, they they could be slowed down, I guess. I don't know. Number two, the minimum wage law and internships. This is a good one. The left is adamant that the minimum wage is the last best hope for the poor. In their heart of hearts, they would really like to raise it to $25 to even $50. At least that is what they are uh, heading, where they're heading. Um as an immediate stop, $15 per hour is their goal. In their view, the minimum wage sets floor sets a floor under wages that the higher excuse me, the higher it is, the better off uh, are the poverty stricken and unskilled. And demographic groups and youth who usually get short end of the stick. The truth of the matter is that this law is more akin to a hurdle or a jump bar. Uh, the higher it is, the more difficult it is to obtain, obtain employment in the first place for such folks. Yet the so-called progressives the equally, are equally wedded uh, to the institution of internships. What's that, you may ask? <clears throat> An intern works for an employer but is paid zero, zilch, nada, nothing at all. <clears throat> but wait, wouldn't that contravene a national minimum wage that currently in mandates that all workers be paid at least $7.25 hourly? Of course it would. It is thus um, fascinating to watch politicians try to defend both. Broken field runners in um, football have nothing on defenders uh, of both internships and minimum wage insofar as, the, as um, ducking and skedaddling out of the way of logic when they are confronted with this downright blatant contradiction. Number three, racism. Ooh, racism. Anti-racists on the left side of the political spectrum have all but 
monopoly on racism in the United States. This is true if you look at what they are saying. For example, President Joe Biden told a black man that unless he voted for him and the Democratic Party, he wasn't really black. Say what? This means that African-Americans who support Republicans or any other party are race traitors. Uh, if that isn't actual racism, then nothing is. It's a bit demeaning, too. Number four, COVID. Uh, this disease serves as yet another example of liberal hypocrisy. On one hand, our fearless leaders still urge us to mask up and to remain six feet apart from one another for a time. For a time, And now again, they demanded that churches, restaurants, barbershops, beauty parlors, shopping malls, etc. remain closed. They did abide by these rulings. Or do, do they abide by these rulings? Excuse me. Uh, to ask this is to answer it. Of course not. Uh, the most famous of these hypocritical episodes was Nancy Pelosi going to a beauty parlor closed to the little people. To add insult to injury, she did so sans mask. Did she apologize for, apologize for this episode? Beg forgiveness? She did no such thing. Instead, she mentioned her importance. This is only the tip of the iceberg. There are numerous other instances of members of our ruling class thumbing their noses at the very COVID regulations that they lay down for the rest of us. What about numerous immigrants across the Rio Grande? Are they checked for disease? Shut up, you racist. <laughs> uh, I've, I've got three good writers tonight. <laughs> I'm loving it. I'm elated. Uh, then there's the issue of affirmative action for the National Institute of Health the organization which gives grants to laboratories which are attempting to cure the disease. It seems, seems that they have gone woke, awoke, excuse me, gone woke. They're now imposing affirmative action for less represented demographics. If the NIH is serious about ameliorating this scourge, uh, they would instead subsidize those that were most likely to contribute to this effort and forget all about race, gender, etc. Okay, five, immigration. The Democratic Party has, in effect, placed the welcome mat at our borders with Mexico for people from that country and all of Latin America, but certainly not Cubans attempting to escape communist despotism. Why the difference? Inquiring minds want to know. Could it be because Biden and company not to unreasonably expect the former to vote for them and the latter against? Certainly not. Perish the thought. We'll circle back to you on this one. Milton Friedman. Okay. The economists, uh, economics, excuse me, the economics Nobel Prize winner gave speeches on the virtues of economic freedom all over the world. He was a real Johnny one note demonstrating uh, with logic and imperial, empirical evidence that laissez-faire capitalism uh, would lead to peace and prosperity. Numerous com Communist countries heard this magnificent message. The left said nothing about that. The better to ignore uh, him, they thought. However, there was one exception when he spoke in Chile under Pinochet. They were still frothing at the mouth at that one. Didn't Friedman realize that the latter was a bad guy? That he had disappeared people, whereas those commie dictators were all civilized? Sure. Police defunding, number seven. If you don't favor defunding the police, you're obviously a white supremacist. 
No matter that, the people who mainly suffer from this policy are inner-city blacks, while the mayors of San Francisco, Chicago, New York, and other Democratic strongholds are laying waste to law enforcement budgets. Guess what they were also doing? You'll never guess. Yes, increasing the security forces charged with protecting themselves and their own families. I think they should be awarded some sort of hypocrisy prize for that. Number eight, the N-word. This is truly the third rail in modern-day politics. Mention this, even as Lenny Bruce did, and it's all over for your career unless you are Obama. <clears throat> You'll be canceled forthwith, and yet if you're a rap artist and don't mention it every third word, they'll kick you out of the profession. Okay, okay, they don't have white privilege. But what about Hunter Biden? That excuse cannot cover him, but there is only one that can. Leftist hypocrisy. Got two more to go, folks. Riots. When Democratic politicians lead riots, they get arrested for doing so. Yeah, they get arrested for doing so. The, the media honors them. Uh, hashtag good trouble. And the law gives them either a free pass or a light slap on the wrist. For example, Hank Johnson, John Lewis, Joyce Beatty, Al Green, Ron Reynolds, and Sheila Jackson Lee. In very sharp contrast, indeed, when Donald Trump tries to prevent one, a riot, that is, January 6, 2021, he's treated very differently. And number 10, science. Our friends on the left take pride that they claim that they are all supporters of science. Well, those who disagree with them that denigrate this institution. Nothing could be further from the truth. For the essence of true science, as John Milton John Stuart Mills eloquently attests in Our Liberty, his divisiveness, debate, knowing the other side of the issue, and being willing to listen to alternative points of view. Does this sound like the left? Of course not. From the electronic media to the traditional newspapers to the campus to the pulpit, these folks have shown themselves highly intolerant of any views other than their own. The wokesters have canceled numerous professors and outside speakers who do not pair at the party line. Doctors have had their licenses threatened and daring, and daring to support a position and not keeping with the powers that be. Science is a big one, folks. I've got an issue with science. Don't get me wrong. I love science. I've got a scientific mind. Okay? Just about everything I do, I practice scientific theory. Okay? When you do it, it's got to be reproducible, and and it has to, you know, be um, accepted by your peers and stuff like that. Um, so science is <laughs> science is the ultimate hypocrisy. Okay, um, very early, you know what? That might be in another article to look at, but very early. Early in the uh, no, I'm, I'm I'll, I'll say that for later. Okay, so let's get rid of this, and we're going to look at California, the ultimate hypocrisy. Okay, if it's hypocritical, it it comes from California. <laughs> okay, so what do we have here? Love this article. California Dems, buy EVs or electronic vehicles, but don't charge them. By Tristan Justice, September 6, 2022, four-minute read. California residents are still braced for rolling blackouts this week as late summer heat waves grip the western United States. 
<clears throat> California residents are still bracing for rollout blackouts this week as late summer heat waves grip the West Coast and put a power grid more fragile uh, by renewables in jeopardy of failure. Uh, electric car owners now might not be able to drive the high-priced vehicles Democrats demanded they buy. On Tuesday, state officials said California faces the greatest threat of blackout this year, with power demand likely to eclipse 51,000 megawatts, setting a new high. As people crank up their conditioner, air conditioners, the state forecasted record levels of energy use, said Elliot Mainzer, president of California Independent System Operators, which runs the state electrical grid, the Associated Press reported. Uh, the state has additional energy capacity at the moment, but blackouts, rolling, rotating outages are a possibility, Mainzer says. Uh, calling additional conservatives or conservation absolutely essential. About 52 million people across the western U.S. are placed on a heat advisory Tuesday morning, according to Axios. Temperatures are expected to reach 125 degrees Fahrenheit in Death Valley and 115 degrees in the California's capital of Sacramento. I used to live in Sacramento, folks. That really happens. <laughs> um, the warnings Tuesday come after residents survived a continual heat wave over the holiday weekend when utility providers pled with electric car owners to refrain from charging their battery-powered vehicles. The top three conservation actions are set thermostats to 78 degrees or higher, avoid using large appliances and charging electric vehicles, and turn off unnecessary lights. Read an August 30th heat bulletin from California's independent system operators, also known as Casio. Um, and that's a, a link that they have um, here. Okay. State officials, including Democrat Governor, <laughs> Democrat Governor Gavin Newsom, have urged residents to conserve power. Uh, quote, Californians should set their thermostat to 78 degrees or higher, avoid using major appliances, and turn off unnecessary lights unless it's safe for them to do so, unsafe for them to do so. A Newsom press release read last week carefully to strip the state's military Utility companies' language on electric vehicles out of the same recommendations one day prior. Newsom omitted <clears throat> the line on electric vehicles offered by the state regular, regulators last week for good reason. Just one week before the state's heat wave put stress on the aging system, um, increasingly dependent on unreliable renewables, the California Air, and that's talking about wind power and solar power, folks, uh, the California Air Resources Board issued new regulations to ban gasoline-powered car sales by 2035. The announcement came with a celebration from Newsom, who called the restrictions one of the most significant steps to eliminate the tailpipe that we know. And in an interview with the New York Times, I think the Newsom should um, eliminate the bong pipe because he's got to be a dope smoker just for the way he does things. That's just my opinion. Uh, California Power Grid, however, already is unable to withstand pre-existing conditions at times of high demand, is unprepared to power millions of more electric vehicles on the road. The state will require 17 more gigawatts of added electricity to keep residents able to charge their electric cars, which, according to Kelly Blue Book in December, come at an average cost of more than $56,000 per vehicle. The nuclear power plant at Diablo Canyon, which is the state's largest single source of electricity, only produces 2.3 gigawatts. Okay. Wow, that's not a lot. Uh, last week, 
The state legislature approved a five-year extension for the plan to continue operating until 2030. They've wanted to shut down Diablo Canyon forever, folks. I don't know. Um, you know, I, my dad and other people worked on that. Um, it's down in San Luis Obispo or in that area. And supposedly there's an earthquake fault out to, out to sea somewhere there. And um, <clears throat> so, like, for <clears throat> a two-inch pipe, they had to put it on a piece of concrete that was probably about six feet across or six feet square. Um, you know, just in case of an earthquake. So that, that plant is more than able to withstand a very large earthquake. So oh, I, it's, that's what I've been told anyway. Okay. Uh, despite the, um, let's see, meanwhile, people are denied air conditioning during extreme heat. Consequences can be fatal. Nearly 3,900 deaths were reported from heat exposure between 2010 and 2019 according to the Los Angeles Times. Despite the routine threats of blackouts faced by nearly 40 million people in California, Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm uh, held up the state as a model for the country. Okay. California is, the, is in the lead, can show the rest of the, the nation how it's done, Granholm told local Fox affiliate in an interview published Sunday or Saturday. Just like Joe Biden's California leaders are unplugged from reality, Larry Barron's the communications director for the energy nonprofit Power the Future told the Federalist, apparently forcing struggling families to buy expensive electric vehicles and then telling them they can charge them in green utopia when they can charge them in the green utopia Gavin Newsom really wanted. The Biden administration, meanwhile, remains focused on shutting down American oil and gas industry without the expansion of domestic mining operations to harvest the raw materials needed for electric car production. New oil and gas leases, according to the Wall Street Journal, have nearly come to a halt. Okay. Well, when, it, when the Energy Secretary Granholm says California can show the rest of the nation how it's done, every family should be worried because we see California's failures and want to do the exact opposite, Barron said. Uh, let's see. Okay, that's the end of that article. <clears throat> okay, folks. And I'm still here. Wow. <laughs> wow, that was something else. That was a um, <clears throat> a very long... <laughs> reading session, but it was very profitable and very interesting and very educational. So, so where do we go with this? Okay. All right. With all this green energy stuff, folks, they're trying to force down our throats. Um, it's all hypocritical. <laughs> you know, it, they were talking about Gavin Newsom up there. Um, in the last article, and uh, Kate Brown is no different. Now, our governor, soon soon not to be our governor after this election, hallelujah, um, she can't run again. So uh, we, we call her the brown stain here in, um, in Oregon. Some of us do. Anyway, um, she had actually – this is a kind of a half halfway along story, but i got to tell it. Um, so – a couple of years ago, this genius, Kate Brown, 
uh, comes out and says that she's going to try to get a law passed where um, everybody that's got a diesel vehicle that's older than 2008, so in other words, 2007 and back, um, you have to get rid of your diesel vehicle because they're not clean. I think 2000, no, it was 2006, I think. So 2005 and back because I had a 2006 and it had emissions on it <laughs> for a while anyway. Um, so she wanted to get rid of all. Now, bear in mind that this state is highly agricultural. And what do farmers have? They have tractors. What do the tractors run on? Diesel. Okay. So by her edict, every farmer that had a tractor that was older than 2005 had to go out or get, scrap that tractor and go out and get a new one. Or not just tractors, combines, you know, cedars, everything else. Okay. Now farmers are barely making it. Okay. Uh, and they're good people, but they're barely making it. And so if you're going to force them to go out and get a new tractor, it's going to break the farmer. It's going to break his bank account, and he's going to he's going to be foreclosed on because he can't afford it. And I think that was part of the plan. Because if you break the farmers, you break the food cycle. If you break the food cycle, you can control the people. But um, so this very same imbecile up in open Salem, after she makes this edict and and says that you know we should we would all do better if we bought electric vehicles, okay. So, not long after she says that, I read a news article that says now, let me let me give you a little background. Uh, in the southern part of the state, there's a river that comes off of the mountains and it runs out to the sea in California. It's called the Klamath River, okay, beautiful river, okay. My cousin used to go up there and fish all the time. Lots of nice, beautiful trout in there. Anyway. Um, and other fish, too, probably salmon and stuff. Anyway, so um, the the Klamath has, I think, a total of five or six dams on it. And out of that six, five are hydroelectric. In other words, we get a lot of our power from those dams, right? But this genius, this mental moron, who is the sister of Jerry Brown, who ruined California even more than it was ruined, um, says that she wants to knock down five of the six dams to help the salmon get up the river. Now, the salmon have been going up the river since those dams were built. Next to those dams, they have something called a fish ladder, and the fish find it, and they, they climb it just like, like like salmon are supposed to do. You know, salmon aren't supposed to have an easy time getting up the stream or the creek or the river. It's supposed to be a little difficult for them, and it helps them. It helps in the process of them recreating, okay, procreating, whatever you want to call it. So they've had these fish ladders on it where the fish can actually get up over the dam and into the, the lake that's behind the dam, swim to the end of that, go to the next dam, go up. You know, it's natural, and it's been built that way because it's natural or close to natural anyway. And so she wants everybody to start buying electric cars, you know, said it would be a better idea for the state. And, but she wants to knock down five of the six dams that produce electric power in a state that uses mostly um, hydroelectric power. <clears throat> okay. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. <clears throat> so, 
So these people, not only they hypocrites, they're mentally defective. They really are. They're mentally defective because they're coming up with these stupid ideas that cannot work, that will place impossible burdens on, on the people that they they govern over and will basically destroy the state. Oh, but that is the that that is the goal to destroy the state. Break the farm so the farmers have to leave. The farmers leave, they move to the cities most of the time, right? Um, people that live out in the country raise their taxes up on their houses, can't afford the house anymore, move to the city. Once everybody's in the city, they got you. They got you, and they can do anything they want to you because it's kind of hard to get out of a city, if, especially if they have it closed down. So that's that's the plan of the World Economic Forum is to get everybody out of the country and into the cities. Not this guy. Not my wife. Not our kids. Uh-uh. We're staying put. Um, so anyway, this is um, – a lot of these things that they're doing seem stupid, but they're, uh, what's that term, dumb like a fox or something like that? Um, they they act dumb, but what they're trying to do is wear down the populace. They're trying to destroy the hope and aspirations of people so people just give up. Um, a lot of people turn to drugs and alcohol, and you can control people that are high on drugs and alcohol. All you got to do is say, hey, you do what I do, I tell you to do, or I'm going to re- remove your pot, or I'm going to remove, well, they can take heroin now here in Oregon. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> it's legal here. Um, so, so is every other dangerous drug. But, you know, okay, well, it'll get you hooked on that, and then if you, we don't do what I, we tell you to do, we're just going to take that away from you. And you know how many people are going to go flocking over to them and say, okay, I'll do whatever you have to do. Um, I'm reminded of a, a Star Trek episode, and I can't remember the name of the actual episode, but uh, what happens was, and this is from the original Star Trek, the real Star Trek, and, yeah, send me your letters. Um, so what happens is Kirk, Spock, and some others, I think McCoy is with them too, uh, they come across this planet that has people just like you and I on it, except I think that they're more like in the 50s. Uh, there's no cars there. It's weird. Uh, but it's it's set kind of like the dress is kind of like the 40s and 50s. But um, so and, and then like every, I don't know, there's a thing that's called the festival. And, and back when that happens, they all go crazy and start killing each other and, and pillage and plundering, you know, and stuff like that. And only for about an hour, and then all of a sudden they go back to normal like nothing happened. Um, so anyway, uh, these people are basically controlled by something called a, uh, an entity called Landru. And Landru, you know, the, the, he has his little henchmen that walk around. They look like Catholic monks, you know, that, that kind of attire. And they have these long sticks, and these sticks have, like, disruptors on them. And anyway, so they find out this thing is a computer, and they destroy the computer. Kirk and Spock do. And uh, after they they um, destroy the computer, some of these henchmen that, that the computer had, the guys that dress up like Catholic monks, um, come running in and they're like, Landru, help us. What do we do, Landru? We don't give us directions. We don't know what to do, you know. And, 
And that's exactly what the population is starting to look like in this country. You know, it's government. You just substitute Landry for government or government for Landry. You know, oh, little government, tell us what to do. We're, we don't know what to do. We're, you know, and, and they're, in school they're getting so dumbed down that they're teaching them stuff that will never help them make it in life, you know. And it's it's useless information that they're being taught, so they, they can't apply it. You know, those of us that are older, we, we learn math and writing and stuff like that. So we're able to communicate in, in different manners. Um, we can keep checkbooks. We can figure out sums and and everything else. And in science, we had a lot of science. And so we know that method, and we know how to deduct things by using that method. And um, But the kids nowadays don't have that unless they're homeschooled. And, oh, God bless the homeschoolers, I'm telling you. If you're homeschooling your kid, you've got life by the tail, okay? Um, but those that are going to public school are getting filled with garbage mush and it's all going to lead to uh, a society that's very akin to the movie Idiocracy. I don't, I wouldn't tell you to go out and watch that movie because there's a lot of profanity in it and, and, uh, and other things, but, um, and, but it shows a society that uh, has been totally dumbed down and even the idiot that goes back or goes into this I guess it's something like he falls asleep and, and wakes up in his future time um, he was kind of like an imbecile um, you know in a normal society when he got there he was like this one of the smartest men on earth uh, so that's you know it's a, it's a very telltale movie uh, it's very interesting actually and there's a lot of parallels between it and what our society is doing now so anyway um, so the hypocrisy is is might seem like it's incidental. It might seem like these people are stupid, but it's not. It's purposeful, okay? And they don't mind looking like idiots because while people are laughing at them and and going, oh, you're an idiot, you're an idiot. Look how many fingers are pointing back. Three, right? One forward, three back. And... <clears throat> It's the people that are saying that that are really the idiots. <clears throat> we got to realize that everything they do is on purpose, okay? And I don't know, just you'll figure it out. But um, anyway, I, before I close out here, um, you know, I, I present things on this show all the time that make it sound like it's impossible, like society, everybody's going to die. <laughs> You know, oh, we're all going to die. Um, but no, it doesn't have to be that way. And it won't be that way because the Bible says that, you know, yeah, things will get bad, but Yeshua will come back and, and make things all right again. But uh, there's going to be a terrible time on earth before it happens. And um, the thing is, um, you have to find out or figure out who you, who's your daddy, you know. Is it this world? Will it be the Antichrist when he comes on the scene? That could be your daddy. Or is the Lord God, the King of Israel, going to be your daddy? Those are going to be really the only two choices. Okay. Yes, there'll be other religions, but they're moot. Okay, they're all they're all religions <clears throat> that <clears throat> that lead to you trying to reach God. And that's impossible. 
The only way to get to know God is for him to reach you. Okay. Um, oh. Yeah, there was a saying, um, religion is man's attempt to reach God, but Christianity is, is God's attempt to reach man. And I would rather have him, have him reaching out for me because if I'm reaching out for him, I'm not going to figure out what to do. Okay. I might try a little bit of Buddhism for a while and I'll say, ah, that's not working, you know, and then go into this religion and try that, that religion and try that. And by the end I'm lost and I'm dead and I'm really lost. But if you focus on the only God that attempted to reach out to mankind and accept his offer and reach back out to him and say, Hey, I want to, I want to be with you. You know, I want, I want you, I want to be with you and I want you to be with me. I can't do this alone, Lord. And I used to have this guy toast to me. Oh yeah. Christianity's a crutch. Well, yeah, it is. And when I'm walking on really unsure ground, boy, I like that crutch. I love that crutch. I love Yeshua. And he's always there to hold me up and keep me up. And even when I fall, he picks me back up. So it's a win-win situation. So you can try to do it yourself and you're going to fail. I'm telling you right now, you'll fail big time. It might seem like you're not failing, but it's a failure. I've tried it. Trust me. So my, I would advise you to try to look into Yeshua and, um, Find you a, a, a Christian that you know that has a good walk with this God, with, with Yahweh, and try to learn. And here's a secret. You can talk to him. Yeah. You can say, hey, Yahweh, Yeshua, this guy on the radio says that you're God, and I want you to prove it to me. Prove yourself to me. And just tell them you're going to keep your mind open, you're going to keep your eyes open, you're going to keep your ears open to hear what he has to say, to see what he has to show you. And when he does, you'll recognize it and pray that you will recognize it, okay? Pray that it's not so subtle that you don't recognize it or it's such a, such a, so intense that you don't want it, okay? But he'll do everything he can to try to reach out to you. He said, no one comes unto me unless the Father brings them. So start praying that the Father will bring you. Bring you to Yeshua. And I promise you, it's a great life. It really is. And you'll never know unless you come to him. So there's the invitation. Now you've had the invitation. And on the last day, you'll never be able to say that nobody told you. You heard it from the, uh, the old man with the white beard. So upon that, with that, I'm going to go ahead and end. It's been almost an hour and a half, and I'm tired, and i got to upload this show and everything else. So um, I am going to – may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to rise upon you and be gracious unto you. May he watch your going out, your coming in, your rising up, and your lying down. May he give you the peace that passes all understanding, and may he show you that he is unconditional love. He gives it out and doesn't expect anything else. And that's somebody you want to get together with and serve. Okay. In Yeshua's name. Amen. And amen. Okay, folks, we'll be back. Um, well, we're not live much anymore. So 
Um, tomorrow uh, in the afternoon, I'm going to be doing a show with Ralph Efferson, and I'll try to get that uploaded. Uh, probably be late tomorrow night. And, uh, and then Thursday is me and Brian. So <clears throat> there's a lot coming along, man, a lot. So um, until then, until tomorrow, have that peace. You deserve it. You've been living in a very wicked and evil world where there is no peace. Let him give you that peace. Okay? And with saying that, I'm going to say good night, folks. Yahweh bless you. <laughs>